You know, y'all sound real good today. Um, okay. How about that story? I did not do the voice. Um, so Balaam, Balaam, yeah. just out of curiosity, how many of you guys have even heard of Balaam before today? Okay, a couple. He comes up a couple times in the New Testament as well, and it's not good when he does, just FYI. Um, he's an interesting character, as best I can figure. So he just kind of pops out of nowhere, but the, the best I can figure is he was a prophet for hire, right? He was famous, um, as far as these things go, for um, his blessings and his curses actually working. Which, you know, for folks who are in the blessings and curses business, most of them, um, it's, you know, 50-50, I guess. Uh, Balaam was not an Israelite. But here's what's interesting. He knew of Yahweh. The, the one true God that we worship, the God of the people of Israel, he knew of that God, and he even claimed to worship him. In, in verses before what we read, he's, he called him Yahweh my God. Now, in all likelihood, he knew about Yahweh because of the history of and the movements of people, but it's probable that Yahweh was one of many gods that Balaam would have worshipped in some regard. And perhaps, you know, being in his line of business, I don't know this for sure, but maybe being in his line of business, he would go through a sort of Rolodex of, um, what is this, 1980? Um, he'd go through his contact list of gods, and he would pick whichever god was the most appropriate for the curse or blessing he wanted to do. That seems likely. So, of course, when it comes time for him to curse the Israelites, he consulted Yahweh. Um, so, however it worked, Balaam got offered a job to curse Israel. They had come out of Egypt, and, you know, once they get out of the wilderness and they go into the promised land, they sort of just steamroll everything. You know, I mean, everywhere they go, they just conquer and win. And so that made um, some of the kings that hadn't been conquered yet kind of nervous. So Balak thought he could get ahead of this thing, right? So he, sent, he sends a little entourage to Balaam to put the old whammy, the old hex on Israel. Uh, and maybe there's something insightful about that, you know, because if you, if you read through the story of Israel's conquest in the in the promised land, it really isn't by military might, really. It is spiritual. It is God fighting on their behalf. So, so he sends his little group of people to Balaam to hire him. And so here's where things start to get weird. If they, if they weren't weird already, here's where they start to get weird. Balaam says, all right, um, you guys spend the night, and I'm going to ask Yahweh for permission. And so that night, Balaam asks God, can I curse these people? And the Lord God talks to Balaam and says, I'm paraphrasing, no, you can't curse my people. So the next day, Balaam sends them away saying, I'd love to, I'd love to do this for you, 
But Yahweh said no, so I'm not going to do it. Um, if you've ever bought a car, you might recognize that this might just be a tactic, right? I'm willing to walk away from this. Can you make me a better deal, right? That's what, that's what King Balak thinks. Like, he thinks that he's negotiating. So he gets together not this group of, you know, servants or emissaries. He gets together the big guns, right, the, the, some of his princes, and says, okay, you go back to him, you make him a better offer. So they go back. And they, they say, hey, can't, would you reconsider? And, and Balaam's like, oh, I couldn't disobey Yahweh, not for pff, all the gold in your king's house. But stick around tonight. Let me check back with Yahweh. Now, do you think Balaam wants to go or doesn't want to go? Come on. He wants to go. So that night, God talks to him. And God says, fine, go with them. But you have to do what I tell you to do. See, that seems weird to me. It'll make sense here in a little bit probably, but what Balaam just, Balaam couldn't take no for an answer because he really wanted to do this. But what he didn't realize is that his greed was pushing him firmly toward being an enemy of God. Right? God said, these are my people. Balaam's like, please, can I go curse them? All right, so he paid lift service to obeying God, but he was itching for permission to curse the Israelites for a heaping pile of gold. Now, does God desire destruction? Come on, this should be easy. No. What he wants to do is wake up Balaam. Destruction awaits God's enemies, and God is going to show that to Balaam in a memorable and humbling way. And so that's the story that we read just a few minutes ago. That the angel, this, this invisible angel, assassin, and a talking donkey. They say truth is stranger than fiction. Um, I know this story is about Balaam, and I know it's obviously about God, but you know, when I read it, you know what I, you know what I can't stop thinking about? The donkey, obviously. I think her story is worth considering. Yes, the donkey has a story. Don't look at me like that. But Balaam was wealthy and worldly, seemingly wise, and he was powerful. I mean, like, he, he basically has a reputation of telling the gods what to do, if you think about it. But for all of his sophistication and knowledge and even his presumption of religious insight and authority. When you really get down to it, he was utterly blind to the spiritual world. And beneath him, shouldering the literal and metaphorical weight of this man's bad choices, was this donkey. She wasn't wealthy, powerful, or sophisticated. She was humble, patient, and unreasonably faithful. But most importantly, 
her eyes were open. Now, they were looking at the same road, you know? When Balaam looked at the road ahead, what he saw was the path to riches and fame. What he saw ahead of him was more of the good life, the better life, right, is what he saw. When the donkey looked at the road ahead, she saw judgment and destruction and refused to go headlong into it. And, you know, maybe after the second time I got beaten, I might want to just sort of toss Balaam in the direction of, you know, but that's not what she did, right? Not only did she want to save herself, but she wanted to save him too. Because he couldn't see what she could. And for that, she suffered unjustly. Her defiance was well-meaning. Her defiance came from compassion, and she suffered for it. And when I read this story, I see the church and the culture in our world today. It's not terribly dignified to say that we're the donkey, but who cares about dignity when it comes to saving lives? Taking a look at the trajectory of our culture, and when I say our culture, I mean, really, it's, it's the world. I don't know if you've noticed, but um, the world is moving more and more in the same direction. Nations still war, but I, I don't know. So when I look at the direction of the world today, I don't feel very optimistic about it, which, you know, if, if you look at some data, that might seem weird because, like, we're living in sophisticated and wealthy times. The world as a whole, not just the 2% or whatever, but the world as a whole is more prosperous than ever. There's never been less starvation, for instance, in the world than there is now. And yet, people feel more hopeless than ever. People feel more meaningless than ever. People are harder to satisfy than ever. They have more, and yet they're not happy. And the question of what does God want is increasingly being left behind in favor of how can I have more of what I want? And that, I think, is Balaam in a nutshell. The one true and living God is nested for a lot of folks somewhere in a pantheon of philosophies and religions. And people are happy to quote the Bible when and where it supports their immediate needs or their personal biases. But for a lot of folks, it's just one voice among many. And then there's the church. Folks like you and me, oftentimes quiet, and humble, patient, and broad-shouldered, hopefully ready to serve our neighbor. But sometimes we have to say, no, I won't go there with you. No, I don't want to see you hurt yourself. No, I 
I love you too much to accept that. We say those things because we can see the world with eyes enlightened by the Holy Spirit. We can filter our perceptions through the lens of God's word. We, when we've learned to do so, see the world with open eyes. But the donkey wasn't praised for standing against destruction. She was beaten and insulted for doing what's right. Because unless they have eyes to see the world God's way, people will think that by saying no, you're being unkind or unenlightened, maybe even hateful. Jesus said we should expect that kind of treatment. It's not something to chase after, but it's also not a bad sign. Jesus said, Matthew chapter 5, he said, Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of things, uh, all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. If you love your neighbor, really love them. And there's going to be times when you royally offend them by not going along with them. Now, I want to be clear about this. Your goal is not to offend people. That's easy to do, right? The goal is to love people. Because, you know, sometimes when you say no, God will open their eyes too. He'll show them that of the many roads you can travel, there is only one road that leads to life. And that's the road that runs up Calvary to the cross of Jesus Christ. Now, for me to say there's only one road, that's a pretty exclusive claim, and people will say that that's a hateful thing. But just because it's an exclusive claim doesn't mean it's untrue. And the thing is that the life found there is given freely for anyone. Jesus literally trades his life for yours. He trades your mistakes and failures and regrets and weaknesses for his righteousness and for complete, no strings attached, forgiveness. If our apparent stubbornness gives the opportunity for God to open the eyes of just one other person, I think it's worth the suffering we might endure. I think it's worth the mockery and bruises and lumps we might take for refusing every other road. Because on the other end of Calvary's road, every wound will be healed. Every tear will be wiped away. Every debt will be repaid. And every hope will be fulfilled. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray once again that you will continue to open our eyes to see the world as you see it. We pray, Lord, that, that you'll give us the courage to say no when the culture is pushing us toward things that, that tear down instead of building up. We pray, Lord, that, that as we make a patient, maybe stubborn sometimes, but loving witness to the world, that you'll open some of the eyes of the people around us that we're not being obstinate, 
We're not being hateful. We're loving. And we want them to know the same grace and, and frankly, the same good life that we have in you. Give us courage. Give us wisdom. Help us to speak the truth in love. And thank you for the confidence, hope, and joy we have knowing what awaits us at the end of the road. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.